I'm going to read through all this survey, but they said that uh, Christians and non-believers alike, uh, a vast majority of the U.S. population in America, like 60%, say that coronavirus is a wake-up call from God. Yes, they believe it's a wake-up call from God. And it's amazing when you see the, the poll um, of, of, of Joel Rosenberg and how he describes this pandemic as unusual. I mean, if you guys know we're living in prophetic biblical times. I know we say that over and over and over again, and you hear it. And the Bible says that in the last days there will be scoffers who will mock and say, where is the coming? We, Ever since, you know, you could probably say ever since we were children, we've heard that Jesus Christ is coming. But how many of you guys know that in old little Capulín, New Mexico, we had an earthquake, 3.4 magnitude, right here. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Did I tell you about the earthquake I felt in California? I think I did when my grandma poked her. I, I told the pastors in Mexico, my grandma was sewing. We lived in Guadalupe. Actually, before they lived in Guadalupe, my, my grandmother was born in Capulín, New Mexico. So there's a little historical significance there. So they um, went to Guadalupe, California. They followed one of my cousins over there, and uh, one of my first cousins, because my grandfather you know, was raising her and loved her, and the dad was a military dad, and the mom left, my aunt left, and so they followed Eileen. It's her fault. So uh, my grandparents followed Eileen. My grandpa didn't know where California, what part of California. He just knew along the coast in the little town, Guadalupe, the, the, uh, uh, Orlando was stationed in, uh, in there in Santa Maria in Lompoc. There's a, a naval base or an air force base. He was stationed there. And one of his friends said, oh, I've been there before. I'll take you. Derechitamente, I'll take you. Exactamente, I'll take you where that little town's at. And it's on the edge of the Gulf. And he went into this neighborhood, he drove the streets, and he saw a little girl, and he said, that's my granddaughter, and I, I'm taking her back. And he was, his intentions was to bring her back uh, to Santa Fe, and they stayed there, and then later on, all my mom and my brothers, my uncles and aunts, all of them, the younger ones left. So that's how the tale is, how I ended up in California. I wasn't born then, but... And then of all places, God drops me off here. <laughs> leaves me here stranded with you guys I've been out I've been shouting SOS my whole life but I was telling now that story to say this story you guys Carlos in 30 minutes can you guys just walk up here and just give me the signal shut up and let's wrap this thing up so 30 minutes guys but let me finish with this last story my grandmother was sewing back in well, I was a kindergarten or first grader and she kept yelling Esteban dile a Daniel que you know, stop brincando. He was jumping on the, the camera. She said, have him stop jumping. And she's yelling at my grandpa to tell me to stop jumping on the bed because she was sewing and she poked her finger. And she turned around and I wasn't there. And then my grandpa said, well, Daniel no está. And I was outside and she's blaming me that I was jumping on the bed and it was an earthquake. And I told the pastors, you know, we live by the railroad tracks, too, there in Guadalupe. The railroad tracks passed along the Pacific coast, and the railroad track passed, and, and you, when, the railroad, when the railroad passed, you would often feel the shake. You know, you would hear it. And um, 
and, and we thought that that was it. My grandpa said, no, it's the train. And then they went into the living room and this big mirror that my uncle, my uncle Pat made, he, he made this mirror in the, uh, uh, I don't know, when was it? In the 70s, I guess, in the 60s, he was a teenager. He was working at the basically the Boys and Girls Club as a community center there in Guadalupe. And this mirror, which is still in my home today, uh, it was rocking back and forth. And my grandpa said, that's not the train, that's an earthquake. And that's not Daniel, you know, Danielito. And, and there was the earthquake was shaking. So I've never felt an earthquake. I've never been in one. Just that time, I don't remember it. So I don't know why I shared all that. But how many of you guys know that if an earthquake can hit in California as big as a magnitude as a 7.2, it can happen here too, I guess. So uh, we need a spiritual earthquake. Well, where am I going, guys? Help me out. First Peter. First Peter. I'm pretty much going to be out of Peter most of the morning. And um, we have a couple announcements. The Bible says that we are going to see Jerusalem come down from heaven, a new city, that beautiful city. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Notice that the genuineness of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation or at the revealing of Christ. Notice at the revealing of Christ, there's going to be a great revealing that it's much more precious than tested gold, much more value than tested gold, and that is our faith. It is our faith tested in the fire. Notice he doesn't say greatly rejoice in the gold, in the glamour. He says, greatly rejoice. Notice that though now for a little while, for the time being, then let's go to 2 Peter. And, and I wish I didn't have to stop there because there's so much more. But if you go to 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, Verse 2, I don't know if we have, we have verse 3, but I'm going to start at verse 2. It says, grace and peace to you. Now, this is Paul's Siamese twins of the Bible. Uh, Paul uses grace and mercy, but Peter uses grace and peace, power and shalom, power, peace. Be multiplied to you. Notice, in the knowledge of God and of our Savior Jesus Christ. Notice he's saying, let grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge. Notice that as you know Jesus, as you get to know him, it's not just knowing him for information's sake. As you become more like Jesus, as you put on more of the nature of Christ, you are, in a sense, knowing more about him, and you're knowing not just of him, but knowing him gives you more. 
Did I say something wrong? Gives you more grace and peace. It's in that knowing. And then it says, and I love this, I've been preaching this for over a year to the guys in the home. As his divine power, this is Jesus Christ divine, fully God, fully man, has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Notice, not through law, not through works, not through thou shalt, through the knowledge of him, he says he has given you all things that pertain to life and godliness by knowing Jesus Christ and his divine power at work in you, you get, the Bible says, more knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. This is a mouthful. But I want you to read verse 4, and it says, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Notice that. They're exceedingly great and precious promises. Now, I love the commandments. I love that thou shalt not. It's all a part of the Bible. It's all inspired. But how many of you guys know that it's Jesus who got it done? It's Jesus who enables me to serve him, to become like him. He transforms me as I get to know him. And by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these promises, these very precious promises, you may become partakers. Somebody say partakers. In other words, a participant. Now, you know, God wants us to be participants, not just of his work here on earth, but to be participants of his nature, of his nature, of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world that is through lust. How many of you guys know that we have a very valuable faith? The Bible says we have a very valuable promises. Now, the word precious promises. I'm going to back up just a little bit, but I'm going to get this one out of the way. The word precious, and, and, and they're going to give it to you in a minute, but but. It means to set an estimate on or to give honor or respect or reverence. I want you to remember that throughout this sermon because I'm going to come back to it multiple times. And, and the word is tameos. In other words, God wants you to give honor. There's precious promises that have been given to you. Notice Certain things that have been given to us, that have been handed to us, have been given to us out of out of deep out of a deep price, out of a deep cost. Um, the, the the root word is is that they're being very precious. These things are very precious or costly. When you look at the word precious in the Bible, it speaks of something that is highly valuable highly esteemed that's why when Jesus sees you like pastor Mike was saying that when he sees you he sees he he sees value Jesus doesn't devalue you he adds value to you and as he works on your character as he works on the new nature in Christ he adds more value to you and so 
this morning I'm going to be speaking on the second man and his precious promises. The second man, and I don't have time to go into 1 Corinthians 15 of where I got that from, but the second man is, is a series of sermons, I guess, I don't know, it's, it's inundated. You could preach on the new nature from Revelation to Genesis throughout all your life. But there's some key things that, that God has given me, and I, I don't believe he's, he's only showed them to me, but I've, I've, as I've studied this, I've, I've learned a little bit more. And, and when I think of second man, it relates to all of us, whether you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. There is a new nature created like Jesus Christ that he wants you to become a participant with. Every one of us. But in particular, when I study these verses and examine them, I really believe that it speaks to the man. Now, in our ministry and in our life, we've been used in many different ways. Like when God opens doors for ministry opportunity. And sometimes, you know, we hear people say, you're going to do this, and God's going to send you here, and this, and all this and that. And sometimes we can become, you know, we, we, we get these big heads. And I remember a story I heard by the late Ravi Zacharias when he, when his first, his first ministry preaching experience on a national stage was in 1984, I think it was, or 87, with Dr. Billy Graham. And, and basically, he, he, he exposed him to the world, this great apologist. A BBC journalist came to Billy Graham. He says, Billy Graham, I've heard much more eloquent speakers than you, much more gifted communicators than you. Why has God chosen you as the evangelist of the world? And he said, I don't know, but when I get to heaven, that's going to be my first question. And using that illustration, Dr. Ravi Zacharias, and I got to quote him because I couldn't, but he says, I have never been able to speak in laudable terms or less than laudable terms than to just tell you the way I am or who I am. He says, in writing, in preaching, in public displays, ego can get in the way. When you're alone with God and in prayer, there is no showing off. There's no room for extraordinary self-aggrandizing display. And last week, I did my first two series in, in Albuquerque with Channel 11. And so starting August 8th, you will be seeing Second Man on TV twice a week. And then they're publishing the CDs and distributing them to all the 11 chapels in prisons throughout the state of New Mexico. Because there's no volunteerism now. There is no ministry taking place besides those seminarians that God has used to develop in Hobbes. They have a seminary, and God has raised up. We've met a lot of those guys. Some of those seminarians, some of them are members of this community of believers, and they have leaders. You have pastors and evangelists in those prisons. So, so two years ago, it wasn't, you know, it was like a big deal. And God says, it's not going to happen that way. I'm going to bring coronavirus. He's going to shut down the prisons. He's going to lock everybody out. Pastors are going to go on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter, and they're going to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. And everybody's going to see him. They're going to have a huge following. 
But God told me the inmates don't have Facebook and the inmates don't have Instagram, but they do have a television. And I'm going to put you and give you access. And they're paying for it. I don't know how much it costs. Notice his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by virtue. I want to speak real quick on that word virtue. You guys got it? You ready? All right, follow me. That word virtue, God has called you by virtue. Now, when you read this, we know that virtue is good morals. It's, it's good standing with God. Oh, we want to be good. We want to be right standing with God. We want to be blameless. We want to be obedient. But we want to be all those things. But you got to have something, a, a, a nature. You're not going to do that on your own flesh and human nature. You're not going to please God. There's no virtue in you to please God. There's nothing good in you that would bring God pleasure. So God says through his divine power, he has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Guys, go to the word virtue because I want you to see what this word means. It, when you look at it in the dictionary, it might just say good morals. But the word is, the, the Greek word is arete. Kind of like, you know, like arete, the girls wear an earring. Well, it's, but it's Greek, not Spanish, okay? Arete, A-R-E-T-E. And that word, it, it blew me away when I was reading this at the motel room last weekend where we went to Albuquerque. I, I was studying this on the second man. And you know what arete means? It means proper, believe it or not, proper manliness. Proper Valor. When you become like Jesus Christ, he gives you a proper valor. In other words, a spiritual valor. He gives you a proper manliness. Not a manliness of this world that the world takes, but a proper manliness. How many of you guys know that you are partakers with Jesus Christ? And as you participate with him, he makes you a virtuous man. He makes you a man with virtue. He gives you proper manliness. Now, there's a lot in there, but, but, but let's go on. By which have been given to you exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers. Partakers of what? Partakers of the divine nature. What's the word partakers? There it is. Proper manliness, excellent, complete. In other words, there's nothing lacking in you. That is that's the part that I was missing. When God develops you as a man, there is that complete uh, equality. There's that complete uh, completeness, that maturity that he, he, Ephesians 4 talks about. That it, as you grow up and mature in Christ, there is that intrinsic attributed by a relationship or fellowship with Jesus Christ. That word arete that I just gave you in the Greek, okay? I got to slow down so I can teach you here something. Is, is, is the root word is aren or arrow, A-R-A-I-R-O. And that word means to lift. Okay, when God has given you the virtue and proper manliness and godliness, that, that, that work that God is doing in you, notice that he, he, he's lifting you up and he's taking you up or away. In other words, he's, he's, he's raising you up. That's speaking of that glorification that Romans 8 talks about. Or, or it means to figuratively, to raise, to expiate sin, to bear up. Notice that's a picture of Jesus. Notice he bared up, he carried up our sins. 
He loosed us. He put it away. He removed it. He took it away. So that virtue that he's speaking about is having that proper manliness, having that proper valor. Notice that Jesus Christ, when he came as the God-man, he had the proper valor and said, I lay my life down. Notice, I do not take my life. He says, you do not take my life away from me. I lay, my down, my, I lay down my life so that I can lift it up again. So I lay down my life so I can carry it up again. So I, while I carry you up, I carry up and carry off your sins. Jesus is a true man. He is the true truest man. He is the man of mans. He is the God man. He is the one that by knowing him and become a participant with him, I can become that second man. That's what the Bible says. That through these precious promises you may be partakers. What does the word partakers mean? How many of you guys know fellowship? Fellowship is koinonia. The word partaker in the Greek, and they have it, it's the next definition up there, guys, is the word koinonos. Koinonos is a fellowship. As you walk with Jesus, as you know Jesus, as you get to live with him and breathe with him, as you converse with him, you get to know Jesus. He gets to know you. There's a, a nature, it's kind of like a hand-in-glove experience. Koinono. You begin to get to know him. He begins to transform your character. He begins to remove things from your life as you fellowship with him. That, the word for koinono comes from the word koinonia. So in a nutshell, that's the second man. But how many of you guys know that we have so much more precious given to us? The Bible says that we've been given precious faith. Precious faith put through the fire that the genuineness of your faith, the value of your faith, that word precious is value. Notice that Simon Peter, a bondservant of the apostle Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith, like virtuous faith, because that word precious, again, what does it mean? It means very valuable. It means very, very costly. Oh, it costs the father his precious son. It cost him his one and only life to come down to save you and to give you his righteousness. Notice that he shared with us. And so that's why Jude, in Jude chapter 1 verse 3, he says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend for the faith. Notice he says to contend earnestly for the faith. Why? Because it's precious, because it's value, because there's a virtue inside of you that as you know Jesus, as you're becoming like him, because you know that you're participating in a renewed relationship with him, he says when you get to know faith and you get to know Jesus Christ, notice it's a faith once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, there's only one faith. It's only one faith. You got to contend for it. You gotta fight for it. Now I didn't put this on the screen, but I was trying to remember that word. You remember when Jesus went to Lazarus' tomb? And the Bible says that Jesus breathed very deeply. He was moved. 
when Paul, when, when Jude uses the word to contend for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints, he said, you got to struggle. You got to earnestly contend as with an adversary. In other words, you got to fervently fight for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Why is our fellowship in here this morning? Because it was, it was not cheaply purchased. It was not cheaply purchased. The fellowship that you and I have with Christ and that we have with the Holy Spirit because Jesus became that precious offering. We have a fellowship with Him. That's why we contend for the faith. That's why we contend for the fellowship of the believers. Did not save you by your empty way of life, by silver and gold and uncorruptible things. He says, but with the precious blood of Jesus, the Bible says he saved you. It was the precious blood of Jesus that he saved you. The Bible talks about a precious cornerstone. First Peter chapter 2, 4. Notice the Bible says it was rejected by men, but it was accepted and called the chief cornerstone. He became the precious cornerstone. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Oh, that cornerstone, the Bible says, is precious. It's valuable. It holds everything together. In 1 Peter 3, 7, Paul says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wife with an understanding way, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. That word giving honor is consider her precious. Consider it valuable. Consider it, I mean, if it's not valuable, you won't contend for it. So you got to contend for your marriage as you would for the faith. Once for all delivered. In other words, there's only one faith given to you. And I wrote this down and I don't mean to be critical and, and, and rude. But how, what, what, is, what is wrong with so many marriages in America? Why so many remarriages? As a matter of fact, there's not even any marriages taking place in America no more. I wrote this down. America has divorced the idea of marriage because we've reduced the value of marriage. We don't no longer value marriage. And God says, husbands, dwell with your wife in an understanding way. That word understanding, it blew me away. And I don't got time to go through all this stuff. I wish you would read your Bible. It said understanding as, as like a science. How many of you guys know that women are like a, like, like a, I mean, it's like a, like a science project. <clears throat> You're all messed up too, husbands. But he says, live with your wife as in an understanding way. And as you got to be like Thomas Edison trying to figure out the light. And you got to be like, Lucius, come on, help me out. All those other discoverers and the law of gravity. It's like, it's a science. When's the light going to ever go on? But he says, dwell with your wife giving honor to her as the weaker vessel. In other words, because she's precious. And, and, and I wanted to establish the fact this word precious very costly. 
No other place does he use that same word precious as he does where he uses it in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, it's costly. It's valuable. It's of a great price. Your wife, your marriage, contend for it once for all, delivered to the faith, to the saints, rather. Once and for all. Notice there's only one faith. You got to fight for it. There's only one wife. You got to fight for her. As a matter of fact, the Bible says if you do not live with your wife in an honoring way, the Bible says that God will not even hear your prayers. Your prayers will be hindered. The original language there is your prayers will be cut off. They're going to be kopto is actually the real word in the Greek. Or frustrate. God's going to frustrate your prayers. He don't answer them. I wrote this down in my notes. If you do not value your wife, if you do not give honor to your wife, now it's not just your wife, it's the marriage, the covenant. If you have no value in it, if you don't, if it's not very costly to you, you know what God says, and I wrote it down? God doesn't hear your prayers. Your prayers do not leave the room. And the prayers that you pray do not even leave the ceiling of the room you kneel in. I wrote that down. When you live in a dishonorable way with your wife, when marriage is no longer valuable in your life, the prayers that you pray in the room that you kneel in, don't even, they stay stop at the ceiling floor, at the ceiling. When you don't value marriage, when you don't value your wife. And I'll tell you what, We need to return value back. We need to return that precious knowledge back to our faith, to Christ, to the blood. Oh, what a precious faith. What value Jesus Christ put on you, on his blood. What a great price he paid for you. Mark 14, we hear of the, the woman of Bethany, Mary, Magdalene. The Bible says that she went into a room where all these religious teachers and all these thou shalt not guys and law guys and they had it all together. Simon, the Bible says, hosted a party for Jesus. And I can imagine the grandeur and the luxury and all the fine apparel they were wearing. All the articles in the house. They were lounging at the table. And the Bible says this woman came in having an alabaster flask of very precious, precious oil. Very costly oil. And it says she broke it and poured it on his head. And the Bible says they were indignant among them saying, why this fragrant oil wasted? Why did she just waste it? They called it waste, Jesus called it worship. But more than that, why were they indignant? 
Why were they so upset? You know why they were so upset? Not because they didn't pour it. Not because of who she was. Because the Bible says that she, she was a woman of the street. They knew who she was. I preached the message out of this called Your Hair Smells Beautiful. There's a woman off the street that walked into the church who hadn't bathed, who hadn't changed her clothes, but her hair smelled beautiful. And I just picture this woman like Jesus walking into her. Why the indignation? Why the waste? Why the criticalness? Oh, look at her. Why is she wasting that oil? Because it wasn't their oil that Jesus said is precious. He said it was her oil. It was precious. It was her cost. It was her everything. It was her value. They had their value and they were holding it. And Jesus says, she broke it. She broke that very precious oil on my feet. And she poured that oil on my hair. She broke the flask. And Jesus recognized her. Jesus recognizes the precious in you. There might be nothing precious. And I want to minister to somebody right now. You may think there's nothing precious in me. I've poured out my life. I've given my life way too much. But I'm here to remind you this morning that you're precious. God hasn't changed his mind about you. He hasn't changed his mind about your children. He hasn't changed his mind about your worship. He hasn't changed his mind about your ministry. He hasn't changed his mind about you. And as I was writing this last night or this morning, whenever it was I got here, this woman that walked in with that precious, valuable oil, very costly oil, that very precious oil, when she walked in, they looked at her and said, hmm. But Jesus says she has something that you don't have. So she was willing to break her value because she recognized the Lord who valued her. And I wonder if people know we see worth in them. Does our wife know we see worth in them? Oh, you're precious. Oh, I honor you. And you don't got to do it with words. You don't got to do it with gifts. On a very vulnerable time in your marriage, the devil will come and compliment your wife. He says, did God really say? Hmm, I don't know. Did he? You know, if you don't give honor to your wife, if you don't cherish her, if you don't add value to her, that's what God told me for me. I don't know about you. I'm going to close with this. It says, you keep adding value and pouring out your oil on those who are nobodies. You keep giving value to the have-nots and the would-nots. 
and I shall not withhold my precious oil from you. You keep adding value and pouring out your oil on those who are the nobodies and the have-nots and the would-nots and I shall not withhold my oil from you. God says you see those people as precious. You value them. You give them honor. When the world kicks them to the curve, when they've fallen and can't get back up, you get your hand and you lift them right back up. The Bible says that those of you who are spiritual, those of you who are spiritual, to restore those that have fallen with gentleness and humility. Why? Because they're precious. He paid a price for them. You didn't pay a price for them. But how many of you guys want to enter into that kenosis relationship? You get to participate because of his divine nature. You get to participate. You get to become a partaker of the divine nature. And by these precious promises, and by these precious promises, what precious promises? The precious blood. The precious blood. The precious cornerstone. The precious relationship with your wife. Oh, how many of you guys know that there is coming a precious city? In Revelation, he talks about a precious city. A precious city. A precious place for a precious people. Oh, one day, the Bible says that the new Jerusalem will descend upon the earth. And we will reign and live with Christ forever.